Welcome to the Refuge Project. The Refuge Project is a place to have meaningful conversation in a safe place. Yeah. You feeling safe? I feel pretty safe today. That's good because we are your hosts. Yeah. I am Pastor David, and we got James here. Okay. Feeling safe? Um, feeling safe. Um, it was in the 30s yesterday here in Houston, and today it's a bombing 70 degrees. Solid 70. Yeah. I, I told so, David, I, w- I walked out, I opened the door to leave, had a jacket in my hand, opened the door, felt that warm air, threw it back in the house, said, I don't need this, never mind. It's crazy, Take man. Take me out. It is absolutely nuts. You never know what you're going to find here in uh, Houston. But I want, I'm super down for it to be cool still, because it's too, once it gets hot, hot, like it's just like that for the whole summer. Yep. I'm not ready for five months of super sweaty horrible heat that's what i told sandra she was complaining oh it's so cold i said i said don't complain <laughs> yeah because, i'll take a few more days of yeah, jacket weather give yeah. it to and me. it's not even that cold but i mean like when it gets down in the 40s for us it's just like oh my gosh it's so yeah. cold outside well especially it was raining too yeah you know it gets you get that wet cold that's the thing it doesn't like just rain here it's our our winters is wet uh-huh so that's just sticky and then you, you can't wash your cars uh-huh. you can't do nothing because like two days later, it's going to rain. That's right. So, yeah, but everything else is good. Um, yeah, I feel like we haven't done this in forever. We haven't. We haven't. Because I haven't. missed one for some reason. I don't remember why, but I missed one. You were sick. That's what it was. Yeah. And then and you then missed one. I missed something. one because of uh, preparing for the pastors' conference. Uh-huh. And uh, we were hope- hopefully y'all y'all liked uh, Dobie. Uh, crazy, crazy testimony. Um, so that was a really good one we released last week. And then we got one more for you in the bank from the pastor's conference, uh, mm-hmm. that'll be releasing this week. So, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, hopefully you like this, this stuff guys, I need you to go and, and, and tell your people about, um, about the refuge project. Our numbers are kind of going down a little bit and we need y'all to pump, 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 pump them up. <laughs> uh, that'll help right there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, and check us out. You can check us out on the Refuge Project on all the streaming uh, sources. Mm-hmm. So, uh, check well, didn't out. we miss a couple weeks here and there? We did. I feel like we keep missing stuff. Yeah, we we we've been real busy. So yeah, it's been um, crazy. It's been crazy. So yeah, but just go out there, tell your family and friends, you know, that your uh, favorite podcast is the Refuge Project. Yeah, lie to them. Do and- whatever you got to do. You know, get them <laughs> just, in church. You know, yeah. I uh, lied to this guy one time and told him he was going to basketball. We did play basketball at the church. So you didn't lie. I mean, I didn't, but that's not why I invited him. You you deceived. I, yeah, I did. But he, he gave his life to the Lord that night, and now he's married to my cousin. So everything's good. Everything's good. The cousin's cool with it? I mean, yeah. <laughs> they got a few kids and everything, so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. So you are pro-lying. That's I mean, you're for it. If you ask Sandra, she says, I've been the truth. Oh. Mm. So you're so, for just a little little bend in. Well, it depends on what you're doing it for. Are you doing it for the kingdom? or? Oh, is that it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so this brings up something. Okay. This brings up something. Because this, yeah. uh, this was actually a conversation that Sandra and I just had. And then I ended up getting mad at the end and we didn't talk all the way home. <clears throat> nice. So we went to... Uh, uh, a comedy show, a Christian comedy show, uh-huh. um, Friday night, okay. right? Who was it? It was uh, Holter. Remember the, the the prophet we talked about? Yeah. 
He's also a comedian. Oh. Yeah. Uh, hey, by the way, did I tell you that Salvador, told uh, he told me, he hit me up at some point, like, the week that thing came out. Mm-hmm. And was like, hey, that guy goes to my church. Yeah. And then he told me that I misspelled prophet, too. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to go back and correct that. Uh, anyway, so he's doing comedy, too. Yeah, so at Salvador's church. That's where we went. Oh, <clears throat> so my, uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law go over there, the same church as Salvador. And... um Man, y'all gonna have to forgive me today, but I got something in my throat that I cannot get rid of. That's all right. <clears throat> all right. And uh, so he does comedy. I wonder if he like already knew that he was going to do comedy since he's a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> he, he knows which jokes are going to work. <laughs> so he had some pretty crazy stories, right? He was just telling a story, you know, different yeah. stories in his life and whatever. And I said, you know, as a Christian comedian... Well, as a comedian, comedians tell stories, but they like they blow the stories up bigger than they really were. Yeah, yeah. you know, um, that's my grandpa. So as a Christian, but I don't think I think that's how he remembers it, though, right? Yeah, I'm kind. Yeah, it is. He gets gets it all twisted. They <laughs> they both get it all twisted in their heads. Right. So you know, to be a good comedian, you have to embellish the story to make it bigger than it really is. I guess. I so is that a lie? Or is that just being a comedian and, and and doing? So let me guess. In the argument, you were for it. I was. And Sandra was against it. I wasn't even taking sides. She was just like, "That's how you are. You just take it and you just kind of bend the truth a little bit." I'm just I've, like, because I've heard my mom and my dad have this same conversation, talking about my dad telling stories multiple times. I've heard this. Yeah, but I think that's how they remember it. I think it is too. Because for so for. My dad, my grandpa, the storytellers in my family, when they're in that story, they're living it. Oh, yeah. They, like, it's really this big emotional thing. Like, they're going through the whole thing in their head. And so then when they try to tell it to people, I think the intense emotion, of the frustration of the yeah. thing breaking or whatever it is that comes out in the story. And so it. It does get twisted a little bit, but yeah. I think it's because that's how they really felt. Oh, that's how they felt when they were going through the thing. So, but everybody's not seeing the emotion that was going on the inside of them. Yeah, uh, when it was really happening, but uh-huh. so they were telling not only the story but the emotion tied to it. Yeah, and it's not like they very just good. changed the story, right? But the thing that lasted ten minutes in the story, it, when they're telling the story, it prob it probably lasted half an hour, right? You know, but even though really it was like. We were broken down for ten minutes. Yeah. But. So, uh, Prophet, whatever his name, I forgot his name. Anyways, if, if he's uh, on tour in the church near you, go see it. Um, but he was telling this story about after he got first aid, he was trying to find himself and and uh, and see where he was going. Uh, so he decided that he was going to go to the woods and just get, you know him and God were going to go down right. Which woods? Uh, well, wait. <laughs> The know. woods? The woods. Okay. I don't he's, okay, he's, go ahead. He's from North Dakota, ah. but he's not really a outdoorsman. There, I'm trying to think. Dakota. Yeah, that's got, there's good hunting. In there. That's where mooses and things are, right? I don't think so. No? North Dakota's like still in the Great Plains, right? Minnesota. No, I guess it's close enough to there. Okay, there's, there's woods. Go ahead. Yeah, more mountains. mountains? No. I get well because look, I'm looking at the map. Well, it doesn't say North Dakota. Plus, that, that map's not right. Cause, cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but above us is Oklahoma, and then it's Kansas, and then isn't it South and North Dakota? Nebraska. Oh, Nebraska! Forgot about Nebraska. Yeah. 
The Dakotas are okay. South and north. Yeah, so they're over there. Yeah, there's yeah, Yeah. they're close enough. There's woods all over there. So, and I don't know if he already had moved to Houston at this point or not, but uh, so yeah, don't you you get me? (laughs) Like I know. Uh, So he goes out in these woods and he takes seven cans of Hormel chili because that's what the real cowboys (laughs) on the movies eat. Seven? How long was he going to stay in the woods? I don't know. But anyways, so. He hears these little girls screaming, help, help. So he grabs his machete. There's like, and he starts running through the woods. Thinking, How far in the woods is he? And he didn't say. Okay. I mean, but he's out. But he's out. Okay. Yeah. No he, restrooms. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the woods, dude. So like, maybe not like a national park. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Not something gotcha. like that. Um, so he grabs his machete and he takes off running towards, um, to help these people. He thought he was going to be a hero, right? Yeah. What well, turns out that peacocks, when they <laughs> holler out or whatever, they do their yodeling. Yeah, I know exactly how they and sound. And say, <laughs> So he thought it was like little kids screaming out for help, This right? is how they sound. You ready? Yeah. This is a spot on one. Here we go. They go like this. They go, <laughs> Yes, that's, that's one of them. That's a spot on peacock sound. The crazy thing about it was, yesterday, I went to this neighborhood, uh-huh. yep. and this neighborhood had, it was, it was a thing. They had peacocks everywhere. Mm. It was like the peacock neighborhood, and they were just running wild in this neighborhood. That's like what they every, sound like, right? And I heard, help, no. help. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's some little girl. And then I remember oh, the comedy show that just happened two nights before. And it was just like, you're living it. Peacocks. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, I got to get this on tape. I got <laughs> I, I to gotta, I gotta film this, right? Uh-huh. So I'm pulling out. And, and when I tell you there was peacocks everywhere, they're like dogs running around the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. On top of people's houses. So is this you embellishing the story? There no. was like one peacock? No, there was a just- bunch of peacocks. So okay. I was going to take a video of this. Yeah. And I did the most boomer thing that you could ever do. Oh, so I'm riding down the road and I'm holding my phone out, recording all this stuff, right? And I'm just like, this is going to be great because I went to the, I'm going to send this to the group that we went to uh-huh, the uh-huh. comedy show. Help! Help! <laughs> And you got the camera backwards or what? And then I said, okay, that's a good, you know, that's like a good 20 seconds. Of, and then I pushed the record button again to stop and I never stopped. Ah, you did that thing. Yes. Yep. Uh, so I got like two seconds of video. <laughs> but I did get it. I yeah. did get it. And I did get a picture of the uh, the peacock on top of the house. Oh, yeah. It was crazy, man. I mean, they were just everywhere. Yeah, show me the picture. Yeah, I'll show you this picture. I know. Yeah, we had uh, the people by- that lived behind us. Uh, my parents' house growing up had a couple peacocks. On top of the house, oh, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like on top of the house. Here's here's the like the two seconds I was I'm showing Crank you. Crank it up. The, Crank it up. I went, you, you didn't get the sound on it? Of the, no, at the very end, I think somebody hollered. And then here's my great skills on the. Yep. Here comes one. Uh, no, put your seatbelt on. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> so you didn't get the sound. I of didn't him. get that. Thing. Nope. You got it. <laughs> It was going to be the greatest. I thought thing. you were going to say you got a video of you holding your phone out, but like the camera's backwards. And it was just, just you, <laughs> your face the whole time being like, yeah, you see that? Look at this. 
so I turned a very cool moment into just nothing. <laughs> well, it's something. It was kind of funny that you messed it all up. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, for y'all. <laughs> it's it's a different kind of fun, but oh, we're man. we're having a good time. Yeah, it was a good time, man. But they were they were really everywhere. There was like they were like they run in packs, uh-huh. and I guess one of the things out there was they had a problem because. Um, Did you say where you were? I missed that. It was it's in Crosby. Okay, it's in Crosby in this like little like niche community way back, like niched in by the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to drive through a couple neighborhoods, and then it's, it's like a three or four street neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And there's just peacocks everywhere. And I guess at one time, they had some very rare peacocks. They were albino peacocks, mm. all white. And um, people came over there and were, like, stealing them because they're worth a lot of money. Yeah. So people were just coming over there at night and. So they don't have them anymore. Taking the white peacocks. Yeah. It was kind of sad. Didn't sad. know that yeah. until yesterday. Would love to get a video of that. <laughs> Some redneck snatch up a peacock in the back of his four wheel drive pickup truck. <laughs> I can imagine how that video would turn help, out. Help! <laughs> I'm sure that's what they were screaming. Help! I'm telling help. you, that's what they sound like. Just this like sound that. like help. I don't know. Maybe um, the. Uh, I bet you, depending on like the gender and maybe the time of year, maybe their sounds change. I bet. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, because you know, like, uh, like deer and stuff, they'll let or moose, whatever. They let out weird calls, but like the girls make one sound and the guys make another. I think. So I think that's true. You hear a joke? <laughs> yeah, this, is a joke <laughs> that, uh, this elderly uh, pastor uh, told me that I won't say his name because he said he couldn't say it in mixed company. <laughs> but this is he mixed. didn't have his own comedy show. <laughs> he said, uh, "So this farmer." Went to um, buy him this brand new bull. It had a good bloodline and everything. And this young bull. And he was so excited. He spent like $8,000 on this bull. He's going to put it on his farm. This bull was going to service all the other cows. And he was going to increase the head count of his 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 um, cows and stuff. And uh-huh. so he puts this he puts this bull out there. And this bull didn't have no interest in any of his cows. Okay. And uh, so he was just like, man, just kind of getting... Well, I've spent all this money on this bull, and it's not even servicing these cows. So he calls the the, the vet, and the vet is like, yeah, and he comes out and takes a look at it. And he was just like, well, the, he's healthy and everything. And he, he just might be a little bit too young. But he'll get there. He goes, but I can tell you, uh, we can give him these pills. Just have him take one a day for the next five days, and let's see what happens. He said, man, after the second day, this bull was servicing all these cows he broke through the fence and he mm. was servicing the neighbor's cows i like service the word servicing he try to keep it clean yeah and um so he called the vet back he said man i do not know what's in those pills but it tastes a little bit about a little bit like peppermint <laughs> there you go his poor wife It sounds like a pill you'd get at like some sketchy gas station. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the Terminator. <Yeah. laughs> I, I, I don't know what it would take for me to take a 
sketchy bill from a gas station. Oh, bro. Can you imagine? And why are they always only at the gas station? Yeah, you don't because see them at, the- You don't see them in like H-E-B or because- nothing like that. <laughs> They're not real. <laughs> like it's all sketchy drug, unregulated stuff. Can you imagine? It's probably just like a bunch of caffeine pills and like. There's like mixed there, with- there's one guy out there listening right now, but y'all don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> you should try it. Like, <laughs> like a picture of a rhino. Have you tried it yet? Something. How do you know? Oh my gosh! Uh, I'm not even necessarily saying they wouldn't work. I'm just saying that there's no way that's all they're doing to you. If that, like, no. I'm sure there's been a few heart attacks that come along with those pills. Yeah, like, how many people just dropped over dead after it worked? (laughs) Like, it worked, and then they just couldn't take it. Yeah, no, I don't know. Anyway. Well, I guess let's jump right into... Culture Corner. It's a good good exit right there. (laughs) Pull up to the gas station. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. Man. The one our viewership is going down. <laughs> I don't know how that even happened. Oh, uh, what All you right. got for us today, James? <laughs> okay, here we go. Your story's got to be better than mine. Uh, wait, you don't even have a story, do you? No, just about <laughs> the cow. <laughs> that was culture. It's the least cultured thing. Okay, here's here's the title. Uh, uh, it's a is a Hillsong launches independent financial review after claims of fraud and l- lavish spending. So <laughs> that was David. By the way. <laughs> it should have been this. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is a story I actually read a couple weeks ago and didn't do think anything about it, and then I just read it again today. I saw it again today, so figured we'd talk about it. Um, I think. You said you knew a little bit more about it, right? Yeah, so let's just back up a little bit. So uh, Pastor Houston, which is ran the Hillsong Church forever, is uh-huh. out on indefinite leave um, because some other things that went on in the church. If y'all remember this, we covered this uh, some months ago that his dad touched a little kid inappropriately. Oh, I don't remember that part. Yeah, and um, so he didn't report it to the police. Mm. The, the son, did. the son, Pastor Houston, and because of that, now he's being investigated for doing for not reporting it. Mm. Uh, so he's already in a little bit of trouble. Um, you know, Hillsong Church, um, the one in uh, New York, the pastor had an affair. Yeah, the, um, Carl Lentz. Carl Lentz, um, and I think there was another one somewhere else. Uh, and uh, and a lot of the different Hillsong churches are now pulling away from the brand Hillsong and starting mm-hmm. their own church. So we got that already going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, okay, so that's been going on. And so then this was uh, – said there was a whistleblower that had access to these financial records that was uh, – let's see. They accused him of a lot of things. They accused Louis him. Vuitton, baby. Yeah, but – okay, so here it is. Uh, it says Hillsong has announced an independent review of its financial structures after Australian independent MP Andrew Wilkie accused the church of fraud, money laundering, and tax evasion. Um, yeah, and so the things he cites, he says uh, – Mr. Wilkie told the Australian Parliament that the church donations were used, quote, to do the kind of shopping that would embarrass a Kardashian. 
Um, the MP used parliamentary privilege to make public thousands of pages of financial records provided by an unnamed whistleblower. He accused the church of earning $80 million more each year than it declares using honorariums to hide income and, quote, treating private jets like Ubers. Yeah. Uh, he alleged 80 million. At more than what it meant. $80 million more. Yeah. Is what he's saying. He's saying that they didn't report it to the IRS. Eighty million. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, and we're not talking about only eighty million. Eighty million more. So they probably, if this is true, allegedly mm-hmm. reported a hundred million or something. Well, before I even read the rest of the article, let me say what's and he's treating private jets like Ubers. That's what they're claiming. So what's his name? Now, um, Hillsong comes back and says, well, pump the brakes, pump yeah, the brakes. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to find his quote. It's at the end of this article here. Our structures change. Blah, blah, blah. I, I think a, a lot of times that, you know, so if your church is bringing in a bunch of money, like shouldn't your pastor get a piece of that, though? Yeah. So here it is. It says Houston. Um, I guess it's the Sun, Houston. Yep. Uh, he said that he called the allegations quote either out of context, misleading, or false. So anyway, that's what they said. And the, the church said, "Listen, if this guy would have just like reached out to us, we would have kind of opened the books a little bit and showed him yeah. where where his his errors are." Mm-hmm. But he decided not to do that to get a bigger splash in the media instead of coming together and just trying to figure this thing out. Now. Um, it's not uncommon for a you know a, a businessman of any kind, if it's in the church or outside the church, to have um, a credit card. Um, so some of the questions are: uh, it was the church paying back off of the company, uh, off of the personal card, and then the in that personal card he had like shopping sprees and stuff out of his mm-hmm. own money or was this a church credit card mm-hmm. and that wasn't explained in the article yeah the uh the uh, dude accusing him it says he alleged that the church funded a hundred fifty thousand dollar three-day luxury retreat in cancun mexico private jets flights for senior pastor brian houston and numerous business class flights for new senior pastor phil dooley um, other expenses. Homeboy's like, look, I'll be up in first class if y'all need me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, those dude, the difference in price between a first class ticket oh, and yeah. like a regular mm-hmm. ticket is, oh yeah, it's astounding. Yeah, because I looked at him for uh, to go to Hawaii. Uh-huh. It's like a thousand dollars. Thousand dollars to go back. You know, fly there and come back. Thousand bucks, just regular whatever. Yeah, something like that. Six thousand. Yeah, it's not just like. An extra 20%, extra yeah. 50%, or even twice the price. 6000 Yeah, it's like times five, times six the price. Yeah. I looked up, I looked at some of those flights for, like, to go to Europe. Mm-hmm. And you could find flights and business, like, if you did it right, you could find them for, like, 500-ish a ticket. Uh, so, you know, two people, like you said, like a 1000 But yeah. then, yeah, you want to go first class, it's like five, six grand. And yeah. you're like, what? Business, <laughs> business class is, is not bad. You can Yeah, upgrade. even that, though, is still like two yeah. or three times. Yeah. Like a regular. But you do at least get a little bit of room, you know? Yeah. Which is what why I thought it would be useful if you're flying, you know, across an ocean or yeah. something. You're going to be on there for a while. Um. Anyway, he, uh, where was he at? This stupid website keeps taking me to the top of the page, and it's really annoying. It keeps <sighs> – anyway, where'd it go? 
Okay, yeah, yeah. That, uh, it says other expenses are alleged to include thousands of dollars worth of designer luggage and jewelry for Hillsong leaders, as well as sixteen thousand dollars in custom skateboards. That was the fun part. Yeah, that's what I was confused about. What are, what, what are we doing here? Like sixteen thousand dollars in custom skateboards. Yeah. What does that mean? Just they got like a cool Hillsong logo know. on them, or? But also, so if you go back to what Houston said, he was. He was saying this is all like out of context stuff, misleading or false is what he was saying. Or did they purchase sixteen thousand dollars of skateboards and put a like a cool sticker logo and then like ship them overseas to give to a bunch of kids? Yeah, was like, it something we don't, like that? Yeah, we don't know this stuff. Uh-huh. So I'm always really, you know, of course with the Hillsong documentary coming out on Netflix and all this stuff, and then of course if you have anything like that, you'll sell you'll you know, People are going to come out of the woodwork to tell their stories. Yeah. I guarantee you if there was a uh, uh, documentary done about this church, there would be people coming out of the, the woodwork that got their feelings hurt by something somebody said oh, yeah. or something like that in every church of America. But also most of those people, I think they're, they've already gotten their head that like that church or the church in general is all these horrible things, X, Y, and Z. They, you know, they hate gays. They're... This, yeah, you know all that stuff. They don't pay taxes. Can you just a bunch of scummy, sleazy people? Yeah. You know what I mean? Just w- rigging the system so they want to take your money. Like they've already got those thoughts in their head most of the time, I think. And I don't know anything about this guy that was saying all this stuff about the church, but uh, also when they talk about like private jet stuff <clears throat> and like first class kind of things, I feel like once you reach a certain level of celebrity status, I'm not saying you're like entitled to first class, but I'm I'm saying like if once you reach so, so much popularity where you can't really just go out in public without having security and stuff, right? Uh, like flying private kind of makes sense. Yeah, it, uh, it makes sense, and also like like how, how many hours in the while we're talking about, like, pull your song up. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna deb- debut his song okay. here. You want me to email it to you or something? Or you just hook into the wife of the Bluetooth okay, there. Um, and then you, how many hours? So if if you're if you're preaching three times a, a weekend, um, all over the world, like these some of these guys like Houston, he's running a a, a, a church that uh, goes across multiple continents, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're you're expecting him to sit in in um, airports across the world for hours at a time, or he can get into a private jet and be home in half the time to take care of you know his family and different things like that. So I, I don't know. I just have a hard time sometimes just really um, looking at this stuff from the surface when we really don't know. Yeah. You know? But it's not like they're too good for uh, regular plane tickets or something. It's just like at a certain level, it doesn't make sense for you to just be sitting in all those lines. Like you've got it. Like maybe he's got to be back on another continent to preach something like the next day. Like you kind of need to be able to just go and stuff. And then obviously, I mean, he's bringing in the money, right? I mean, there's extra 80 million out there. So, I mean, what what he's preaching in honorariums is – Sounds like they can afford this stuff. It's not like, yeah. I mean, if I made if I made a couple million dollars a year and I wanted to buy me a Louis Vuitton bag, like, who cares? You know. <laughs> but my- even that's a little harder to justify because at least with flying private, you can kind of say like it. 
it's necessary to a certain extent because of my crazy schedule and because of how um, known I am. I already have to hire a security team. Right. Like, you know, you can kind of justify that. If it's just like luxury bags, it's that those kind of things are like purely, he just wants a luxury bag, which. It's all the church is not paying for it. Now, if the church is paying yeah. for it, I have a problem with it. But yeah, this yeah. dude's role. But I think that was part of what the dude was claiming yeah. is that they're charging all that kind of stuff to the church. They're taking these people from the church on these luxury vacations to Cancun and. I don't know. You know I mean, but again, like you don't even know what that is. Maybe that was some retreat where they're. I, I don't. I don't remember who he said that happens all were. the time. That, I mean, I have a buddy that's a, a, a children's pastor, and they their organization meets in Cancun or yeah. Costa Rica or yeah. whatever, and everybody goes down there and they have their their leadership meeting. Yeah, you know. And I mean, we have like kids camps. Yeah, and we have things for adults too. So um, I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's easy to, to say all this stuff on surface. Um, the problem is, the, this is the problem. There's too many people that, too many high-profile churches have uh, done it and not done it right. Yeah. So that becomes a problem, and, and we've we've put an ugly name on the church. Yeah. But, of course, you know, I don't know any of their real context. And I think, uh, I think more of the allegations that not are probably going to fit under the category that Houston said where he said it's either misleading, right. out of context. I think more of those are probably going to fit under that. Um, but I don't know. And uh, Just like Joel Osteen, he doesn't even take a, a salary from the church because he makes so much money on books. Oh, really? You know, so like mm-hmm. he he made, he's wrote just as many books as anybody, Houston. Yeah. Um so he's probably have a bunch of extra income. Well, then he could give it back to the rest. I yeah. mean, you don't know. He might give $20 million a year back into, you know, whatever. Yeah, we yeah. like, like everybody relax a little bit. Yeah. Like God's going to take care of this stuff. If it's ugly, he's going to smite them down. If it's, you know, if it's good, then he's going to continue to bless them. Yeah. If I had to guess, I would guess a small, small percentage of whatever he's allegating is, is probably true, yeah. Yeah. and then you know just threw all this other stuff on out of context to make yeah. it look worse. Yeah, like most everything, know. right? Anytime there's a court case of anything, yeah. you know, there's always some level of truth, and then they just throw in all the other stuff to make them look like the way they're trying to portray them. Yeah, so this is that what, would be my guess. We're recording this on March 21st, um, and uh, the same thing they're doing to Donald Trump right now. They said that he's going to be arrested today. Oh yeah, what was it for the? The documents? What, why did they say no, he was this is something that goes way back to the Daniel story where he uh, had a, a, a relationship with this, you know, I think it was a stripper or something way back when. What is he being arrested for, though? <sighs> they they haven't let it out. Like, Donald Trump himself had leaked this no. because he got word from the DA's office from a friend of a friend of a friend that they were going to oh, come and get him. interesting. Yeah, so well, let's let's see. Yeah. But it's just one of those things, like, you, you get a little piece and then you want to blow it up. Yeah. You know, because all they're, all they're trying to do, and I don't want to get into politics, but they're just trying to disrupt the um, the next presidential election. They, yeah. they don't want Donald Trump there. Well, so. Nobody wants him there. So, I mean, both sides, right? I mean, yeah. he just really needs to, like, just step aside and let – Dos Santos or whatever his name is, and let him support him, and, and and that would work out very good for the Republican Party, Republican Party. Um, but like, yeah, but nobody wants him there. Democrats don't want him. Republicans don't want him. You have to have an ego. Like, if you want to be the president of the free world, like, there's something wrong with you in the first place. It's right? weird. 
I mean, who wants that stress? Who wants that that control and all that stuff? I mean, like you have to have a huge ego to even want to be in politics. You're in the trying first to place. tell me Donald Trump has a huge ego. I mean, now, just, this is the most outlandish allegation I've heard. It's it's big. It's real it's, big. <laughs> you think it's. It's, it's huge. huge. That's the word. There you go. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's our culture uh, quarter. There you go. There you go. All right. We got a song for you today, and it's called... It's called Please Go to Sleep by a sweet band named Eucalyption. Here we go. This is the music video audio for it. That was it. That's the new single that just came out uh, two weeks ago. Where can you watch the video? 
on YouTube. Go watch it on YouTube. Where else are you watching videos where, these days? Where at on YouTube? Um, if you just uh, you can search our name. If you follow us on Instagram, we have a link in our bio. Um, but if you just go to YouTube, search up Eucalyption, which is E U C A L Y P T I O N. Name of the song is "Please Go to Sleep." It'll pop right up. Let me say, please go to sleep, official music video, all that kind of stuff. Where where on Instagram can they follow you? Uh, at Eucalyption. Anything's just Eucalyption. So you on Twitter? We technically are, but we don't use it. Okay. We had it, and I don't know. I can't get into it. I, I, I hate social media so much. Like, I hate using it so much. Uh, so I don't have any personal social media stuff. I've never really done it. It's like... It's this massive job for me just to have a band Instagram, just like the one. Yeah, you so, need to use um, an app called Hootsuite, dude. So I use that app, and it was great because you could post. You it could goes go to, to all, all the different ones. Yeah, right? and you could like schedule. You could tell it to yeah. post tomorrow at whatever time. It was great. Um, but in order to use anything, you have to have a Facebook page that you uh, link everything through. And so we made a Facebook page just so that we could use all these other features everywhere. But at some point, Facebook just, like, signed us out of that page, and uh, it wouldn't let us back in. And the end of the end of the story is we couldn't use it. And you can't just, like, call up Facebook no. customers. There's no... We're still dealing with some stuff through our church at, you know, Facebook because they won't get back with us. Yeah, so they wouldn't... Uh, so they basically they just, like, took our account. Don't know why. Um, it, they kept doing the whole thing, like, hey, sign back in. Uh, and then to verify this is you... Type in the code we sent to your phone, but they would just never send a code, and it's the right phone number, and I don't know. They just it just never worked, and we couldn't get back in. And so, at, since I couldn't log into Facebook, I couldn't use. You can't use. Um, you can't promote stuff on Instagram. You can't use any of those third party apps because uh, everything has to be like. Because since Facebook owns Instagram, right. like you have to link all your stuff, and yeah, it's really it, it's pretty terrible i almost i started to try to make a new facebook the other day and i still couldn't even make that profile just because of all the nonsense with facebook and uh, i read somewhere too that like if you're not posting like a couple times a week or something like that on there it'll just take your page to i think it's something where they're trying to crack down on like bot pages right uh, so they want you to like be a person that's on there doing yeah. stuff. But. So that's that's what um that's what Twitter did when uh, Elon Musk came and took it over. He uh he made everybody paid to use to be verified. Yeah, it's like a dollar or two dollars a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but by doing that, it got rid of all the bots, right? Because the bot companies are not able to spend mm-hmm. two dollars a month on. Millions and millions of pages, right? So it cut yeah. down on a lot of the the bot pages and the uh, inflation of fake news and a lot of the other stuff. Yeah. So, um, which is a brilliant idea. Well, that's great. But yeah. like in my case, like what if I just wanted to be a person to just kind of look at people's pictures on Facebook, but I didn't want to post stuff all the time? So right. does that mean I can't even do that now? Because well, that's weird. Uh, Maybe because it was a um, a band page and not a personal page. Because yeah, we don't. I mean, I have a Facebook page and mm-hmm. never post on it. Yeah, so the one I started to make uh, a couple days ago, I just made like a James Nissen one that I was going to link to uh, to our band Instagram and also that I could use some features. And I still couldn't even seem to get that to work. 
Hmm. I don't remember what the deal was, but I don't know. All the criteria for just to have a stupid Facebook page was not, <laughs> it was so tough to That's make crazy. it work. It was really annoying. It's crazy. But anyway, yes, you, if you have an Instagram, you can follow us there. And uh, anywhere you listen to music, it's all there. iTunes, Spotify, everywhere, Amazon, whatever, YouTube. Go check it out. We're pumped. We're about to announce a bunch of shows. Oh, yeah. That we're gonna... you, you want to share any of those here? Well, I don't have enough details on them to share them yet. Okay. So, but I've got a couple dates that we're looking at with a few different bands around the Houston area. So All right. once I get them done, I'll definitely announce them. For sure. Sweet, sweet Caroline. Which, no? by the way, did I tell you I got, a, I got an NPC? Did I tell what? you that? I'm all like... I'm like making beats and stuff what? now. <laughs> that used to be the that used to be the piece, bro. Yeah, if man. you had an NPC, I don't uh-huh. know if it still is or not, but I mean, it depends on what kind of world you're working in. Hip hop world, that was it. Yeah. So I got an NPC one, mm-hmm. which is a newer. Well, I guess at this year it's like probably four or five years old, but uh, I got one of those called an NPC one. It cost me like seven hundred fifty bucks. Um, but my whole thing was. Because right now, the live shows we've been doing, the way it's been set up is like Ben's on guitar, and for a few songs, he might loop a bass line or something. Um, but on my end, it's like I've got two or three synthesizers, a drum machine that I'm all controlling. It's like a whole bunch of gear. And so I was trying to simplify that setup. And so with the MPC, you could do a ton of sequencing and stuff from the MPC. And without getting into a bunch of techie, nerdy stuff that most people won't follow, I think I can cut down on the gear that I'm going to have to bring. So instead of bringing like a few cents, a drum machine, and then a keyboard or two to control the cents, and then a bunch of pedals and a mixer to put all that through, and a looper, like instead of bringing all that stuff, um, I should just have to bring, I'm going to bring my actual drums now, play drums on like half the songs, and then I'll have my MPC next to me, and then maybe one synthesizer to, to mess with depending on the song. So it'll just have drums, one box, and then another box. Sweet. That's the goal. But I've, I've, I have to like make an entire new show now because I have to make all the different sounds in the MPC and do all the different sequencing and figure out how we're going to do it. So it's like a ton of work now. But I think once I do it, I think it'll be worth it. It'll have more flexibility, less gear, Easier setup and tear down, and I think we'll be able to do more stuff with it. So and run it through MIDI on like first strike of whatever. It yeah, turns itself if you want to do whatever, that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I haven't I haven't gotten that far, <laughs> but I think I could do a lot more of that stuff. So we'll see. But um, I'm pretty excited about it. But it's just it's going to take me like a month, yeah. <laughs> just you know, of all my free time, just like trying to make a new show and figure out the concept of how we're going to structure the songs and how I'm going to sequence things and the sounds we're going to use. And yeah, I remember going to, yeah. just, going to the studio and then like the producer had the NPC, everybody be gathered around it. Oh man, yeah. you got the NPC. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, you know what? I was, um, I was talking to a brother the other day and, um, he was telling me his testimony. It was actually uh, Adobe. And uh, so we started just like talking about testimonies and stuff. And so I just gave him a, like a quick rundown of my testimony. He goes, have you ever told that on on podcast? And I was just like, no. Um, I, I really try to like move away from it a little bit. You know, and we, we joke around about me, you know, being the, from the hood or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's just something that, you know, what. You've definitely brought up little pieces. Little pieces, it, right? right? You've never told the whole thing. Um, yeah, I'm almost 50 now. That was in my 20s. Like, mm-hmm. it's not something that, 
you know, I brag about or anything like that. But uh, he said, I think that you should share it because it, it, could, it, it could touch a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm going to do today. You know, I just want to share share a little bit of my testimony. And then, uh, James, if you have some questions or whatever, just stop me in at any point. Um, and maybe something you're interested in hearing that yeah. somebody else might be. Sounds good. But um, most of y'all know, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor here at Elam Church in, in Houston, Texas. Um, I've kind of worked my way up from, you know, just being a, a servant Um you know, youth pastor, you know, small groups pastor and now executive pastor. So, um, but my roots go way back in this church, um, kind of, uh, as far as back as the Nissens, you know, uh, mm-hmm. my great, great, great grandmother was part of the original church with your great, great grandmother. Yeah. Your two, my three, I think. Um, and they served in the, in the Elam church before it was Elam, um, when they were having tent revivals. Uh, and sweeping dirt floors and stuff back off of navigation. <clears throat> so that's kind of where my roots were. And then, uh, you know, my, my parents, uh, on my mom's side, she, uh, there was always a, um, a Christian, uh, tone to everything that we did. Um, my mom's, my mom's dad was a preacher. My mom's brother was a preacher. Uh, my cousins, they're all, you know, pastors at churches, uh, and I'm a pastor here at this church. So there's always been, you know, this thing that was important to serve God. And uh, so that's what we did. You know, we all serve God. I went to this church. Matter of fact, sister Chris, I went through her program in the, in the, um, in the, um, childcare, you know, oh, the nursery. Chris? yeah, really? yeah. I went through her program. So that's, that's how long fun. she's been here, you know? Yeah. Cause she I, was there. I went to her, <clears throat> you went to her, I went to her, my kids, now my grandkids. That's crazy. You know, they, they all, we've all been through those. <clears throat> and um, as as a kid, my, my mom had a lot of health problems as far as like uh, back and knee issues. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, I can remember as um, as a kid just running around under the pews across the street before we had this building and running around behind and under the stage. Uh, me and uh, your cousin Wade, mm-hmm. um, we were always up to something, you know, yeah. in the church, and we, you know, we kind of because of being around the church, we were like we were like kids of the church, you know, and uh, so we had a little bit of access to parts of the church that nobody else did. Uh, so we kind of got to run a little bit free, and just having those memories, you know, running around the church and different things like that. My mom started having some, you know, health issues with her with her body. And uh, so we didn't come to Elam for um, probably a handful of years. My mom put me on a a, a bus to the local Baptist church mm-hmm. because they come around and pick up kids. And my mom just always thought it was super important for, even if she couldn't take us, that the the kids got to church. Yeah. Um, my dad, <clears throat> he um, he knew God. He knew of God. Didn't really have a a, a relationship with God. My dad was uh, always struggled with. Uh, substance abuse, uh, mainly alcohol. He tried some other stuff growing up as a kid, but uh, never was addicted to like drugs or anything like that. You know, I, I imagine everybody in their age smoked a little bit of weed, but you know, the sixties and seventies. Yeah. Um, so not everybody, but a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so I never knew my dad to go to church. You know, um, I've, I've always had a great father. My father was one of those guys that, Never missed a baseball game. Never missed a, 
uh, sporting event or anything that was going on. The only thing that he ever missed was maybe something I did at church. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we never could get him to come into the church because he had he had a foundation of who God was and those things. So it was almost like if he goes to church, then he has to come eye to eye with God. Yeah. So he never came to church. Um, so my mom always brought us to church. Um, if it wasn't for the, if it wasn't the Baptist church, my grandfather and, and, uh, uncle, uh, planted a church at one time. So, so several years we went there and then I guess about 12, 13, maybe a little bit younger than that. We came back to Elam. And, uh, so when then we came here, I can remember most of my, uh, most of my youth was here, um, I went through several youth pastors. Paul Owens was my first youth pastor, and then Pastor Keenan, uh, one of my mentors to this day. And then after that, uh, Brother Mark, Pastor Mark, uh, Brother Mark back then. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so they were my youth pastors, and, and those are four, four more years of my life that really um, gave me a foundation of what the rest of my life would look like. Um, and then we did that, man. I've, I, I, you know, all my girl, all my girlfriends that I ever had, all came from church. Mm. You know, uh, I, I uh, tease my wife now, Sandra, that uh, I dated all of her friends before I got to her. <laughs> you know, I saved the best for last, uh-huh. and uh, it was just because it was a, our group of friends. And um, so did th- those things for a while. While I was dating this girl, uh, Michelle, I won't give her last name out there because. Hopefully she's doing good in life now. Um, but we were taking karate lessons from this reverend such and such. And y'all have heard this. Y'all have heard this. Y'all have heard this story before. Uh, which is a great story, right? Uh, so we were taking karate lessons from this reverend. And um, so. Uh, <laughs> Tell the story. Uh, so. You know, and we're having these private lessons, and then mm-hmm. I, what come to find out, she was having private, even more of a private lesson. <laughs> With the karate guy. With the karate guy, Reverend, whatever his name was. But Reverend their private lessons were more of a, a, a like, yoga. Oh, yeah. You know, instead he of... He was cr- teaching her flexibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so it wasn't like I was going to just, like, go over there and bust in, and, like, he was a karate dude. Like, he was a black belt and <laughs> And he took my girl. You know what I mean? Uh, it was like Karate Kid, but no Mr. Miyagi. You know what I'm saying? But like, Mr. Miyagi stole your girl. But like, I didn't have I didn't have a Mr. Miyagi to teach me karate to go get my girl. You know? Yeah. Um, no, he's so he uh, had her. He yeah. So he it, had you it, out there waxing stuff. <laughs> Gosh. So um, between that and I think uh, a couple of mistakes that the leadership made here at the church, no fault for their own. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a lot of it was just my immaturity of not being able to handle, uh, correction and different things like that. Um, and then that happened. I was already, you know, I was already having, um, sexes as a teenager with one of my girlfriends. Actually that one, I guess she yeah. was with both of us. Um, I don't remember the first time I heard this story. I don't remember him being a reverend. Yeah, he was a reverend. I totally missed that yeah. part. And it was a he was a young guy, so he probably shouldn't have been a reverend at that mm-hmm. point. You know, he had a men, he had this older mentor um uh that 
really try to help me through this whole thing because he knew that he was stepping out of the boundaries of where he was in his ministry, uh, the the karate teacher. Uh, so he had to break relationships with his with him too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that older fellow tried to walk me through it, but I was I was hurt, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, that was when I really told God, like, if that's the type of God you are, I don't want nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. And um, so I spent the next man fifteen years on on a road of destru- destruction and leaving just a wake of um, evilness and, and sadness and depression and and hatred and and to to the rest of the world the way that I was acting out because I was fully submerged in church. I didn't have any friends outside of that. Um, I was I was always a good athlete, so I was always all star athlete of whatever I'd done. So I had some friends uh, 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 from there, but the the area that I lived in was uh, it wasn't well to do. Um, so the people that lived around me were um, in gangs, doing drugs, selling drugs, those type of things. So when I left the church, um, I, I just drew to that. You know, yeah. I went outside and what I seen, I started hanging out with because I, I already knew them from school. Mm-hmm. They've been living on my same street for since I've been little. So it's not like I wasn't familiar with them. So I started hanging out with them, you know, and it was, it was one of those things that first becomes smoking cigarettes. And I've all, always had an issue with cigarettes, like from when yeah. I was little, uh, eight years old, getting caught smoking. Jeez. You know, my, my uncle... I would, he would buy a case of cartons, and I would steal packs of cigarettes. So as mm. an eight years old, I had packs of cigarettes, you know. Um, so I would get I would get in trouble for that. Um, so it started off that, then smoking weed, and then um, you know, and then it, it, everything just compounds itself because yeah. then you're like, oh man, well if I could just sell a little bit of weed, mm-hmm. then I then I don't have to pay pay for my own. And it all starts like, okay, I'm just going to do this so I don't have to spend my money on my personal use. And then um, and then we begin to sell um, quite a bit of drugs. You know, uh, when, I, when I say that, probably a couple hundred pounds of, of marijuana, maybe a hundred pounds of marijuana, a quarter kilo of Coke, and maybe several hundred pills of ecstasy a week. Yeah. <clears throat> and it just kind of just compounded quickly. Uh-huh. And then when you're young and you're you're selling that much drugs and then the money's coming quick and you're partying a lot, you, you gain, um, you know, what, what the guys on the street call street cred. Yeah. And you become very popular to the people around you. You got a lot of hang-ons, a lot of people that want to benefit from, you know, your success, my success, because it's not like I can go home and say, "Hey, mom, look, I got six thousand yeah. dollars." You know, because where did I get that six thousand dollars and hidden cars and different things like that? Uh, so you just spent it, and and people around you benefited off of those things. So mm-hmm. they blow up your ego. You become <clears throat> something that you're not, and uh, they make you think that um, that you are something that you're really not. And that become a problem with me because, you know, I become the, you know, the crazy white dude, you know. And then yeah. coming from uh, a more of a Hispanic and black area, I felt like that I had to be, like, 
more crazy, more wild than anybody else to prove myself yeah. to have worth. <clears throat> and um, so it became an issue. Um, so we just kept. Do you think he would have left the church if that girl, if that thing with the girl would wouldn't have happened? Like, what else was going on? Because it seems, I mean, like that would have been as a teenager, that would have been a big deal for sure, and would have hurt you a lot. Yeah, but like, yeah, because, uh, I, yeah, because you know she was the first one that I was I had sex with, uh-huh. uh, high school sweetheart. So you know we were already into the sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year old. Like we yeah. were about to graduate from high school. But say that didn't happen, do you um, think you still would have left for some something else or some other issues? I was I was already a little bit rocky, you yeah. know. Um, and I, and I just be upfront and honest. I played the drums in the youth back then and, um, I was terrible. Yeah. You know, I wasn't good. I mean, I could, we keep, all were. I, I could keep a beat, you mm-hmm. know, but I wasn't good. And instead of the leader of, of the youth group coming and telling me, Hey man, you know, this is just not working out. We're going to bring another drummer in. Mm-hmm. Um, I just showed up to church one day and there was another drummer. <laughs> You know what I mean? And that crushed me. Uh-huh. Like, uh, so that wasn't done right. But at the same time, I wasn't mature enough to handle it, you mm-hmm. know? So I just had a lot of resentment for the leader at the time. Um, and, and so to this day, that that leader doesn't know what he done to me. I never mm-hmm. went and told him, hey, man, you, you crushed me, you know? Yeah. Um, so um I don't know. I was already down the path a little bit because, you know, I was already having sex and I was already doing certain things, but I was still a good kid. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know if it, if it was just one more thing waiting to happen or it needed to be a big thing like that, Yeah, you know, because even though the, the drum stuff kind of crushed me, I still, I still loved the Lord, you know, and I still wanted to be in church. But when that happened, I was just like, that's it. And it was one of those things where that I teach on now is that I took my eyes off of who God was and put them on man, mm-hmm. right? And it, it assumed that this man, because he was reverend, that he was God. Yeah. And I couldn't distinguish the, between the two mm-hmm. um, because I was a young, immature guy. And that's why I think that as youth leaders and youth pastors and those things that we have to be very careful because the way that these young people look at us uh, and and try to be who we are because for for them, we are... You're representing God. Yeah, we're representing God, but we're yeah. not God, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so our failures are God's failures. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a tough role to be in. Um, so uh, probably, I, I don't know, maybe not... Yeah. Maybe not because I really did love the Lord and I really did love this girl. Like I really did love her. And we, you know, you, of course, you know, in the, every 18 year old, we talked about marriage and yeah, all yeah. the things and all that, uh, especially being first and, and high school sweethearts and different things like that. Um, <clears throat> so that happened, the drugs, alcohol, addictions, uh, addicted to selling drugs, mm-hmm. addicted to the money. Um, so how old are you now? Um, so when all this started, I was probably a 17, 18, okay. uh, 18 years old. I was 18 years old cause I was buying cigarettes for, um, all the homies, yeah. you know, cause everybody else was 16, 17 years old. I was, I was held back in the third grade. So everybody I ran with, I was always a year, year, year older. So, um, 
so in the next really 15 years or so, um, I just fell into this, you know, um, really just game banging, you know, street fights, drive bys, um, shootouts, um, just some crazy wild stuff. And even through all of those things, man, there was, there was always a whisper. It was like, David, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like you, you, you don't belong here. Um, so I always had that voice of God in my ear, like, you know, um, when somebody would break into one of our dope houses, we had like different houses that we would stash dope and another house that we would stash cash. And it was just, I mean, it was, it was bigger than we ever thought it would be, you yeah. know? And what's going on with your family this whole time? Um, family being like parents, siblings, like everybody you grew up with. So... She went to church with, took you to church. Like, what's going on? So, You're in your 20s. Yeah, so now I'm, you know, I'm 19, 20 years old, getting in and pretty deep at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's back up. So, like, 18, I just really, before, around 18, 19 years old, my mom's really just, she was hell marrying. Like, she was tough love, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Probably didn't know what to do. She didn't know what to do, so she was just like, hey, you can't stay here if you're, if you're doing these things, mm-hmm. right? And she put all my stuff out on the curb. And uh, so I was just like, peace. That just gave me, for me, that just gave me an open invitation to do whatever I wanted. Yeah, you're free to leave and do Yeah, free to do whatever. Because now now everything that I thought about that I couldn't do because I lived at home, Mm -hmm. now. You can do it. I can do it. Go get your own place. Yeah. So, uh, you know, another buddy of mine, I stayed at his his place and, and paid a little rent over there. Now, all this time, I still held a, a legitimate job. Always, I've always had a legitimate job. Um, so just wilding out and all these different things, ended up meeting my ex-wife, um, and just really kind of dove in it harder because she kind of uh, hung out with a different, higher class type people. Well, guess what? They wanted the same thing that I was selling. So it it just (laughs) elevated me even more. So now I'm moving in on a richer side of town, Mm. selling to different types of people and all those things. Um, And, you know, when when I was on the streets, I got arrested multiple times, you know, and it was just like every time uh, I just got away just by the skin of my teeth, Mm. you know, and we got arrested one time. Um, for breaking and entering, but they didn't catch us like at in the act, so they had to let us go. Yeah. Um, another time, uh, we got busted for um, like assault rifles and a thousand rounds of ammo and dope and all kinds of stuff, and just so happened the friend that I was with that his his sister was dating like the narco cop. You know, she was a cop, and and he came in there, and he said, shake these guys' hand, tell them you never put them back in these positions, and we walked away free. Jeez. You know, and we were looking at 20 to 50 years on that case. Yeah. You know, but there was always some something there, like, protecting me, you know. Um, and at the end of the day, like, was it protecting me, or was it just giving me, like, nobody can touch me mm. type attitude? And that's kind of where it was. Um, I didn't see it until later that God really had his hand on life, my life because there was a greater calling, right? Yeah. Um, so make a long story short, um, we got into an argument over uh, some black book, 
So we we pulled up to a gas pump, and there was another guys that they were we were always into it verbally with these guys, um, but supposedly they pulled off. We pulled up to get gas. They left the black book. Some some of them, I don't know a book. I don't know what it is. They accused us of taking it. We didn't know what they were talking about. Well, things got violent. Um, I don't want to go into detail, but things didn't go well for them. Mm-hmm. They came back with re- revenge. Um, we go to jail mm. um, for both of the previous time and then that time. Um, and, and then, and how old are you now? I am about twenty, twenty three, twenty four years old. Okay. Um, and um, I'm already on probation. Yeah. For a drug case that I picked up three weeks before. Mm. So I haven't even seen my first probation officer on a drug case. Yeah, you broke that probation. Yeah. <laughs> and then I pick up this aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Mm. Uh, so I'm in like. It's not a good look. No, it's not a good look, man. And so all the money that I ever had made and saved was about $15,000 mm-hmm. of all the the probably a couple hundred thousand dollars that passed through our hands. I've only, I only saved 10 to 15,000 mm-hmm. and it was everything that I had to, to buy the best lawyer I could buy. And, um, he got that reduced to two misdemeanors and I did four months in jail. Wow. Yeah. I did four months in jail. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it was. And I can remember the day when, I when I was going to court, I know I was going to, I was going to, um, I was going to jail, but it, you know, I was at my mom's house. And by this time, you know, we I've already tried to patch up our relationship because, you know, so the, the whole jailhouse religion type stuff. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah, God, if you get me out of this one, uh-huh. you know, if you get me out of this one. And that's where, I, that's where I was with my relationship with God, even though that he got me out. Bro, I mean, I can remember shootouts where I could hear the bullets passing by my ears. Mm. Like, yeah. like, just crazy stuff where I shouldn't be telling the story, yeah. you know. And I told my mom, I remember looking at my mom's eyes and, and uh, telling her, I'll be back. You know, I'm just going to go to court and I'll be back. And and I knew that that, that was going to be the last time that I seen my mom for a while. I didn't wow. know I was going to get probation. I mean, I didn't know I was going to drop it from a felony to a misdemeanor. I didn't know that. Um, I thought I was, you know, easy 10, mm-hmm. you know. So I get there and uh, he gets it down. He says, but you have to go today. Uh, so I'm just like, okay, you know, so like I go to jail today, go to jail today. Yeah. So I ended up doing my four months and, uh, that's when I really realized that so my grandfather was a great man of God. He had been prophesying over my life for a while and everything that he was prophesying over my life was totally contradicting everything that I was living. Mm. So I couldn't see what he was saying, you know, like he was going to, I was going to be, you know, a, a man of God and I was going to be married to this this uh, Hispanic girl that's, you know, uh, that's going to school and doing everything right and all these different things, that, but it didn't match up with my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I was just like, okay, you know, like he's obviously missed, you know, God on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I, when, I, when I was in jail, I think I was in jail maybe at 25, 27, something like that. I can't remember. Um, but that's when I just really started reading the Bible um, but not really, it was just still some jailhouse religion, you know? Something to do. Something to do. You know, my foundation was Christ, you know? 
So I knew that I loved Christ. And I think I, while I was in there, I was sincere. Yeah. You know, I really was sincere. I wanted to do better. Um, but I had a lot of scars um, from my previous relationship. You know, I can remember Josh, my son, he was just like three years old. Um, and I always told myself, like, what I'm doing is only hurting me. I don't wish everybody would just leave me alone. You know, I was a good father on my weekends. All that was put to the side and I was a father, you know, uh, on my days to get my kids. I was always a good father, but it was in between those times that I filled my life up with like chaos. And it was just like, as long as there was chaos going on around me, I was good, mm-hmm. but it was those quiet moments where I had to deal with my issues, my anger issues and my hurts and my pains and all those things. That's why I kept chaos in my life because I was dealing with the chaos and not the issue. You focus on that. Yeah. Instead of, yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, Josh, the only time that, that, uh, my parents brought my kids up to see, see me in the, um, and Harris County is terrible for visits, man. It's got this glass. And you're talking through this little mesh thing, and everybody's yelling because nobody can hear. So everybody's yelling so nobody can hear, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I could read his lips. He told me, "Daddy, I want to stay with you," you know. And it's the first time in my life that I really realized that the things that I was doing didn't affect just me. Yeah, you know, they affected the way my kids were seeing me. That affected the way. My mom was praying for me and, and how much she loved me. And, you know, my mom had two knee, knee replacements, and she tells me that's my fault because yeah. she was down on her knees so much, you know, praying for my my sorry tale. And um, mm-hmm. so after that, I was just like, okay, you know, I'm going to do right. Like, I'm, I'm going to listen to my grandfather because that's a better path than wh- where I was on, but not because that was the right thing. Mm. right just because he said it so i'm gonna do it so i ended up marrying sandra and um you know it was just such a a conflict of personalities because she was like so focused on school and so focused on doing the right thing and serving god and all those things and at the like the inside of me i wanted to do those things but i just couldn't do it so i was still like smoking weed when she wasn't around and and going to the homies and stuff like that and hanging out with it when I when I could, could get a chance. I mean, even like our honeymoon. She should have left me not on our honeymoon, the uh the uh what's the party before the marriage the, before you get married? Before the the, uh, the something dinner, the rehearsal dinner? No, 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 the party before, like where you and your home your homeboys go out. Oh, the bachelor the party. Bachelor party. Like I turned up missing for days. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I was just like, where'd you go? <laughs> I mean, just, I just, on, just, just on drugs and stuff, yeah, you know, out. just like out and doing drugs and partying and, and, you know, and, and the one thing I can always tell everybody is I never cheated on anybody, yeah. you know? And that was one thing she was worried about. It's just, you cheat on me, never cheated. Yeah. Did we go to the strip club and stuff like that? Yeah. But I never like physically cheated on her. Um, but I was just like, three days of partying and then two more days that you were asleep, you know, and she had been blowing me up. Like she shouldn't, she should have moved on. That's what I tell her all the time. Like you should have gave me so many chances. (laughs) Uh, But, but that continued. Like Mm -hmm. I was, I was on my, you know, during the day I was just one, this one way. And then 
when she was around, I was one way. When she wasn't there, I was another way. So I was living this double life. And that is crazy that she stayed with you. It is, bro. Like, she, what did she say? Like, why she stayed with you? Because she she knew. Like, why she even agreed it in the first place? Because it doesn't seem like you were doing so hot the I whole wasn't. time. I wasn't. So there was always. And she's a smart lady. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. She, there was always passion between us two. Yeah. Even when I was dating her friends and when we were still going to church, you know, I would still look across the pool table in the youth building and that'd be uh-huh. like, because mm. uh-huh. all the other ones are white, you know? <laughs> and that's what she was really my first like introduction to the Spanish culture. Yeah. Besides, you know, but you know, my neighborhood and stuff. But, uh, uh, so we I always had that look, um, and we, you know, we, we've always flirted back and forth because she, she was always around my house. Mm-hmm. Like from the time she was thirteen years old or whatever, she was hanging out with my sister, um, and, and she has her own testimony. But she went through some things that my in her high school years, my parents basically raised her and helped her to get through school and into college and all those things. So she was always around, and always I had enough game that I kept her on the hook you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean uh-huh. um and not saying that in a in a like I'm bragging about it but I always was flirting with her enough and just kind of keeping her locked in because it's almost like I knew that I should be with her but like mm-hmm. we were contradicting each other so much in life yeah um but so eventually y'all start dating so we start eventually da- I'm guessing you propose uh yeah, I mean, I proposed to her while I was locked up. And she was just like, yeah? She came and visited me almost every single day for four months. Yeah. And uh, she's, you know, when you hear people say ride or die, mm-hmm. you know, you, I, I think of people like uh, like her, Shelly, uh, that really just hold it down no matter what is going on. Yeah. You know? Um, but our, our relationship was like, even we didn't have a honeymoon. Like, mm-hmm. there was no such thing as a honeymoon time because we were like, People didn't want to hang out with us because we fought all the time. Yeah. You know, and it was because I wasn't being truthful with myself or with her. Mm-hmm. And and she knew it, you know. And um, and then also, like, working relationships out. Because when you're on the streets and you're, um, uh, it's hard to say, when you're, like, in a gang, like, you're, you're only, you're not just supposed to show love to another woman. You know, you're they're hoes. Yeah. You know that, and you're supposed to treat them in a certain way. And so I was trying to work a lot of that stuff out. Like, how do I love her? But this is the way I know how to treat them, mm-hmm. right? Because of you know the last ten years or whatever has has been this way. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, you know, that was one of the issues that we had is I, I I didn't know how to show love and and compassion and those things like sex and all that was great. But it was the things in between that were were hard to deal with. But what I can't get, what doesn't make sense to me, is like I know you have all boys, but say you had a girl, uh, and she was dating somebody. She had a a relationship like y'all had at the beginning. It seems like you and Sanjo would probably be telling her, "Y'all need to break up. You got to get away from this guy." And so somehow, though, she is still with you. Like I don't under, I don't understand how Sandra that didn't makes have that sense. support at home. Okay, she didn't have the, the support at home. Um, you know, her her father went to prison when she was young. Okay, uh, so she 
you know, like they say, you kind of you marry kind of like who, who your father was. Was she was. still? Um, she always liked bad boys. Yeah. Was she still in, uh, like, in the church and yeah. active and all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and and I and I and I made it a, a new commitment to God, mm-hmm. but it was just like a new commitment on Sunday. You know, and I was still dealing with trying to clean my life up on the weekends or really not putting the commitment to clean my life up throughout the week, I should say. Um, So, yeah, I mean, just one of those things that she's always liked bad boys. She always liked the the and you you got to think like and I don't want to speak for her, but like, you know, they call it cloud or whatever. Like I was the I was the guy. Yeah. You know, I was the guy in the neighborhood. I mean. My homies from uh, the neighborhood, they would like come to my house and get my keys and go wash my car for me, mm-hmm. you know. And they would get things up. And they would like they would set up things for the night and and for me to show up. Like it was, um, I mean, it was like TV stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? It was, it, it was, and that was one of the things I really struggled with uh, early on. It was just like, how do I, um how do I become humble again? Yeah. You know? And, and I was very aggressive and humble because like I could go, I could go anywhere and say anything because I knew there was 15 people behind me. Mm-hmm. So I was like the guy that was running. The, I mean, you, you think I run my mouth a lot now? <laughs> like I yeah. was that guy, yeah. you know? Um, so it was tough. And, and that's what I always tell people. She was just like, how do we get our kids to be more aggressive in baseball? Because I was a, a aggressive mm-hmm. football player, ba- uh, baseball player. But when I began to like work on myself and to ask the begin to ask the Lord to take some of that like anger and stuff out, well, that whole aggressive part of me like left, mm-hmm. you know. So now I'm just like, oh man, we lost by twenty. That's cool. <laughs> You know, I'm just like, it's not in me no more. Good game. Everybody. Yeah, good game. And then people on my team was like, nah, not in a good game. Yeah. We ain't slapping hands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I, don't, I don't even know where. So, so well, okay, so you were in jail. Yeah. You have the encounter with Josh. That's where we left off. Yeah, so, you know, I, then I just really started realizing, like, man, I got to get my life together. You got to get this girl uh, that's committing, man, Every one of her nights, she goes to work, goes to college, and then she comes see me. See, sees me, hmm. so uh, I had a little bit of money left um, that I w- that I saved for my mom to pay my child support. Right, hmm. because I was still I still wanted to be a, the best father. I mean, I had a great father. He, he was alcoholic, but he was still good. He never missed anything. So I still wanted to make sure my kids were provided for. So I, I left a little bit of money there for her to continue to pay my child support. Um, and then uh, I told her to go down and pick a ring out, you know. And uh, so I, I proposed to her while I was locked up, you know. And uh, so I come out, and, and marriage was, man, the first seven years of my marriage was rough. Yeah. Like to the point where she left me a couple times. And if it wasn't for her mom being so old school Mexican, uh, <laughs> like, no, you picked them, you go home and yeah. figure it out type uh-huh. thing, you know. Uh, we wouldn't be together right now. Um, the, like the last straw, like so, we just really struggled in marriage. She struggled and 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 uh, with helping with my kids because their mother was um, addicted to drugs and alcohol, 
and I didn't I didn't understand how to to make two two women happy, mm-hmm. right? I was trying to make their mom happy. I was trying to make her happy. Um, but at the end of the day, that wasn't my role. My role mm-hmm. was to make my wife happy. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to balance two women at the same time. Not that I was cheating on them, but just trying to make both of them happy with the decision I was making. And um, still smoking weed, you know, I've – um, we would still party on the weekend. Sender would never like party or whatever. She would be there. Me and my, my brother-in-law, we would, you know, drink or whatever. And the, the ladies would sit around and talk and we would, we would party a little bit. But, Are y'all uh, going to church? Um, by this time we wasn't okay. like, so when we first got married, we, we would go like on Sundays, yeah. you know, in and out type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day she went shopping with her, her, um, her, um, sister and so i was just that was the thing for me like let let her go somewhere on saturday (laughs) i'll sit back at the house smoke some weed Mm -hmm. and um you know i got so high man i forgot my weed bag on the back of the toilet where i was in there rolling a joint and she come home and and my wife is so like sheltered she didn't even know what it was you know she's never seen drugs before uh i never brought it around her um so she was like, what is this? And I was just like, uh, and I couldn't even come up with a good lie, you know? Yeah. I was just like, whatever, it's weed. And uh, so then she left again, you yeah. know? And it was the last time she left. And um, that was my, like, reality check. Mm-hmm. Like, here I am in my 30s, and I'm about to go through my second divorce, mm. right? I brought all these kids in this relationship, and I have, you know... Uh, her son, my kids, our kids, and I am, you know, ruining lives, mm-hmm. you know, and I just got them, I got um, on my bed and I just weep, man, and she was gone to her mom, she packed her stuff and she left and, and I just began to weep and I, it's one of the very few times that, uh, uh, the first, the only other time besides that time when uh, I, I remember the first week in jail was always the hardest week. And I was just in my, my bunk, just kind of weeping a little bit, man, and trying to stay t- tough and hard and all those things. But it's still t- trying to like figure out what just happened, man. I was the man on the street. Now here I'm locked up and I don't have nothing. People are telling me when to go to the restroom, when to take a shower and losing freedoms and losing people that you love and all that. And I can remember crying out to God, it was just like, God, why did you leave me? Mm-hmm. You know? Why did why did you leave me? And um him saying, I never left you, you don't want to turn your back on me. Mm-hmm. You know? And and that kind of helped me get through those things uh while I was there. But then um fast forward to when she was leaving again, um uh, I just, you know, was just crying, really, really crying because I know that I made a mistake. Now, right. all the, like, lying and all the, that's why she says you like bidding the truth, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what I always done for the first five, 17 years of a relationship was bend the truth just a little bit enough that had that I had some truth in it, uh-huh. you know? And that's that was my game. Yeah. Uh, and I was good at it. And, uh, but I can remember just getting in front of God and God challenged me, man, you have to be the man that God has called you to be. Mm. Um, instead of your kids and your wife begging you to go to church, you need to be the one getting them up, getting them dressed and take them to the church. And I wish I could tell you like everything was good after that, you know, 
Um, man, there's some challenging times came from out that center and I were still fighting, but I understood that I had faults. The, the world told me everything that I was doing, I was the coolest and I was the best. And, uh, I had favor with people and, and all these things. I had drug dealers that would only talk to me. They wouldn't talk to other leaders of any other, you know, other gangs or whatever. And so it had me like on the pedestal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to deal with that because that pedestal didn't mean anything in my relationship with, with my wife or with God. And, um, so from that point, man, I just started taking it. And, I, and, I, and that's what I tell everybody. Like when you come off a, a situation and you give your life to the Lord, it's just like everybody was just like, you come as you are, come as you are. That's great, man. And I think that's what we should do. Um, but we also have a responsibility to change, yeah. you know. And it's not one of those things that, hey, God's just going to take you from me and you're going to be a changed man. Yes, sometimes he does, you know, does a miracle in your life and he takes away addiction and he takes away uh, hurts and pains and anger and depression sometimes. But a lot of times we have to work at it, you know, and that was what it was for me, man. I had to work at it every day. I would wake up and I would be intentional about change and I would take the biggest thing in my life, the biggest, ugliest a monster in my life and I would just work on it and work on it intentionally every single day and, and, and ask for forgiveness from the, for the past and all those things by the people around me. Um, and so that was, that was out of my life. Yeah. And then I wake up the next morning and then take the, the next insane. biggest thing. Um, and then to the point where like Sandra and I's relationship now was nothing less than amazing. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those like I get to talk to other other people and just let them know what God could do if you just like give him everything and 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 not hide things that he already knows there. Yeah, you know, um, so that I guess I don't know if that's a sh- short testimony or a long testimony or whatever it may be, but that's well, tell us how you end up because uh, that gets you. Because what, you ended at like your 30-something now? Yep. So at some point you start preaching and stuff. So how does that okay. happen? Yeah, so uh, so just right there. So after that night, right, um, uh, Sandra comes home. Her mom's just like, nope, go figure it out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. she comes home, and um, and I just told her what God had told me, you know, and, and I apologized to her. Now the next few, the next two years will some of the hardest years because I knew that I changed, Mm -hmm. but, um, she didn't believe me. Yeah. Well, why would she, why would she? Right. So that was, that was like some very, um, pretty cool years for me later on because I had to realize that it wasn't about me, Mm -hmm. that I had to quit being selfish and prove to her that what I was saying was also a reality in my life. Yeah. Right. Uh, so it took some time, but after that, you know, we um we got uh, maybe I think the next Sunday, the next Sunday was the the convocation, oh. and uh, so we we came to the convocation that Sunday, and uh, one of the nights during the convocation, we went up and had dinner afterwards. Yeah. And um, so we're sitting there, and Pastor Mark comes sits next to us, and he's like, "Hey, man, just haven't seen you in a while." Blah blah blah. 
And uh, he was a youth pastor at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was just like, hey, you know, if you ever thought about working with the youth? And um, and I was just like, uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know about that. He was just like, come by next Wednesday night. And I think it was that Wednesday the, the pastor's conference was over. Next Wednesday night he said, come out and see, um, you know, what we got going on. If it's a good fit for you, then great, and then we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so um, – we go over there, and Calvin was uh, a, a youth leader, and um, me and him have a, a little bit of the same story, yeah. you know. So we just really got connected with uh, him and Shelly, and um, started serving, you yeah. know. And then from there, it was going to the Star of Hope and preaching to to um, uh, the less fortunate and the homeless and stuff like that. And I can I remember stories up there stumbling around trying to preach and then like people from the back's like hurry up preacher i'm hungry <laughs> because you they had to hear the god's word before they could eat yeah and then here you got this little young guy that doesn't know what he's saying stumbling around, stumbling around and this dude's hungry and yeah. you know so um but it built character you mm-hmm. know it built character for me to understand like man you have to First of all, you have to be prepared. You have to understand what the people are going through that you're, you know, that you're talking to and all these different things. And and then Pastor Mark, you know, he's been a huge influence in my life. And um, him and, and uh, Pastor Keenan showed me what a Christian man looked like. Yeah. Um, and he was just, he gave me opportunity after opportunity, um, one after another. And then, then because of that, the Lord has just been able to open up doors Um and he's allowed me to walk through doors when I was in, and just to kind of back up a little, I wasn't, I was never a good student. Um, uh, so I, I really struggled learning the way that the school taught, you know, I didn't learn that way. Mm-hmm. And back then it was, show me your work. This is the only way to get the answer. And if you can't get the answer this way, then it's yeah. wrong. Right. Right. And, um, so, I didn't do good in school. So instead of trying, I become the class clown, right? Uh, If they wanted to put me. So back then, either you was a good student or you was was in the class with, like, the kids that. Rode the short bus. Yeah, Yeah. like, literally couldn't wipe their own drool coming out of their mouth. And Mm. and And I was just, like, I battled back and forth because here I was a star athlete. Mm Mm-hmm. But I was, they put me in the classes with the guys that were retarded. I don't yeah. know if that's a, I don't, I'm not trying to be slang or anything, but uh, yeah. uh, I don't know what the term is. That was a, that was a term back then. Um, so I had this like identity crisis going on at the same time because I wasn't dumb. I just didn't learn the same way. Now they have programs for all that stuff and yeah. you don't have to do it like the teacher says. Um, so uh, I don't know if that answered your question. But you're just saying, oh yeah, because you had tr- trouble learning. Yeah, so I didn't do, and then and then so that's where I was going. So, and because of that, I preach different. Yeah, and because of that, I think that you don't write messages the same. I way. don't write messages in the same way, and, and then for what people tell me, I'm a little bit easier to follow and listen because I'm long. I'm long winded at that, you know. Yeah. So I'm an hour preacher, so hour preacher sometimes is hard to listen to, yeah. you know. So um, because of the way. The Lord has built me. I write messages different, and maybe that's why that He has allowed me to to not learn the same way. Because now I'm able to uh, teach and 
when I read the Bible, nobody else reads the Bible like me. Yeah. You know, I'm like, hey, did you read this? They're like, <laughs> no, nah, I didn't know that was there. But yeah. the way I read it, mm-hmm. you know, um, what do you call it when you get the dyslexic? Dyslexic. So I'm yeah. super, super bad dyslexic. Mm-hmm. Um, to the, to the point where I can write and. Sender was just like, you get the A and the E backwards. Mm-hmm. So I'll write it again and do it the same time three times. You know, so it's just like, <laughs> yeah. I can't get it from my brain to my hand, you know? Yeah. Something's, something's not computing there. Um, and, you know, and that's really driven her to do all the things that she's done uh, in her career, too, because she's always wanted to, through my story, she didn't want the next little David to have to deal with the things that I dealt with in school. Wow. Um, so she's become a dyslexia specialist and, and now she's doing whatever she's doing, but uh, you know, just to help the kids because she, yeah. she's seen the struggle that I went through. That's so amazing. And so that all started just cause pastor Mark said, Hey, why don't you come swing by the youth swing by the youth, man. And then we just dove straight in. That's great. And uh, so over the next few years, Sandra and I patched our relationship up and uh, beginning to serve, you know, went from the youth to um, my cousin and I started Crux. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, we planted a church. I left there. I was associate pastor at that church, became a youth pastor, became a small groups pastor, and now I'm an executive pastor here at Elam. So it's amazing. Yep. That's a good story. Yep. I appreciate it. Oh, man. All right, guys. Well, thanks for stopping by, and mm-hmm. we love you. This is The Refuge Project.